Good morning. Welcome to CCT Live. This is the Cape Cod Times Facebook Live broadcast that comes to you from the Times Newsroom at 9 a.m. every Thursday. I'm Patrick Cassidy, news editor here at the Times, and I'm joined today by reporter Marianne Bragg, who covers, among other things, uh, and whatever else we throw at her, the towns of Truro, Wellfleet, and Orleans, the Cape Cod National Seashore, and Wales, again, among all sorts of other things. We'll certainly talk Wales on a later broadcast, I'm sure, but this week we're going to focus on the effect of the storm over the past weekend on the region's coastline. I think last week I sat here and said that was likely going to be our big story, and it's true. It turned out to be our big story. So lots to talk about there, including the loss of a popular beach snack shop, uh, snack shack, and, and damage to area homes. First, we'll take up some of the other hot stories of the week. This is our second CCT Live, so keep coming back each week and tell your friends. And uh, certainly follow us on all our social media accounts, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and go to the CapeCodTimes.com website, and you can follow any of these stories along there. Um, so we'll, we'll start with these stories. Just go to the Happening Now page on our website, and you can see all these stories. So let's get started, Marianne. Um, one of the hot stories of the week was earlier in the week, and it was uh, the AmeriCorps program here on the Cape, and they've run into an issue with housing. Um, and if you can talk a little bit about that, what's, what's the problem? Well, AmeriCorps needs a house, actually. They've uh, just recently learned that one of three houses that they have on the Cape, uh, this one is in Bourne, that will not be available as of July. And the county owns this particular house. The other two houses are out in Wellfleet. And in total, um, I think there are maybe about two dozen AmeriCorps volunteers on the Cape. The house in Bourne houses about 12, but uh, they're not going to be able to stay rent-free year-round after July. So um, I think they're looking for a house. Also, a former AmeriCorps volunteer is uh, has started, I guess, attempting to try to find a house. One of the interesting things I found, I mean, the AmeriCorps, pretty much wherever you go, even particularly on the Outer Cape, they're always doing work. Um, it might be painting fences, uh, it might be helping clear invasive species. They're really always doing a lot of work. So um, one of the interesting things I thought in this story is that um, the AmeriCorps volunteers tend, after they do their year of service, they tend to stay on the Cape and then end up taking leadership positions uh, in environmental organizations on the Cape. So to me, it seems like really a super worthwhile well, and once you come to the Cape, why would you ever leave? I mean, this is a great place. But as you said, I mean, they, they provide these services through the county. It's a federal grant, but the county, one of the things the county is supposed to do um, or that's supposed to happen is kind of a matching part of this. And, and part of that was the, the housing, as I understand it. Um, but the towns really rely on them for this type of work. They do a lot of, uh, as you said, clearing of invasive species, painting, you know, clearing streams. They're doing all sorts of stuff out there for, for the different towns. Um, the other interesting part about this, and, and I guess to get to the reason a little bit, a county official told uh, reporter Jeff Spillane uh, that it was a state audit um, that was done by the state auditor that raised concerns about how the county was leasing property. It was, it was not even charging uh, different organizations for property. And that became a concern for the county. Um, they said in order to limit their liability, this was one of the things they were doing, was looking at how they were using these properties, and in this case, this house. Interestingly, the story's uh, up online, everybody can look at it, but after the, the story came out, I think yesterday, the state auditor actually, I think, had heard from some people and had released a statement saying, 
Hey, listen, we didn't say that you you had to have the AmeriCorps people leave this house. That wasn't our point. We were more talking about kind of the specifics of how you do your leasing. I, in the story, um, uh, Steve Tebow, who's the assistant county administrator there, didn't say that it was a direct result uh, that the state auditor had said that the AmeriCorps people had to leave, but he said generally the state auditor had said that they needed to look at uh, their liability in different instances, and this was one of the ways they were doing it. So um, that certainly is going to be an issue, and I think, as you said, a lot of alumni for the AmeriCorps have kind of weighed in and are looking to mm -hmm. uh, help out. Um, among uh, the other top stories of the week, and this one had, certainly has some legs, it started last week uh, with an arrest of a, a born selectman uh, on some domestic violence charges, and all these charges are alleged, and this is still going through the court process, but uh, what happened here? What, what, was the, what led to his arrest? Uh, well, I think as it, it's two separate incidences, incidents now uh, of alleged domestic violence, so um, he was, I believe, arraigned last week and uh, held, I believe, for a dangerousness trial that was this past week. And so now he's currently being held in jail and his pretrial hearing is on the 27th, I believe. Uh, so he's a, he is a first-term selectman, and he'd also filed papers to go ahead uh, and for this upcoming election to try to get elected for a second term. He has really a, a bit of history in government, so he had worked, he'd been represented the town of Bourne for Cape Cod Commission. He'd been on the Bourne Housing Authority, Prior to that, he had been a legislative aide with uh, Senator John Kerry, had studied in China, international relations. Uh, he, he works now as a realtor, I believe. So I guess I would say he's a person who has some history in government. Yeah, certainly ensconced in, again, political affairs. And, and just to be clear, his, this is Michael Blanton. Um, again, he's 49. He's uh, facing these charges. Um, and this week, as you said, there was this dangerousness hearing uh, early in the week, and uh, the alleged victim testified uh, about some of these instances, and it was, you know, pretty difficult testimony to, to hear about. Um, uh, Blanton's attorney, uh, Drew Segadelli, a well-known attorney, um, said he questions the whole idea of a dangerousness hearing and, and the idea that somebody could be held without bail before a trial. I think they can be held up to 120 days before a, a trial if they're found uh, by a judge to, to be a potential danger. Um, and again, Sigadelli also questioned the victim and her memory. There was a, a question of whether uh, she had a concussion because of one of the alleged incidents, and, and Sigadelli kind of keyed in on that and said, well, if you had a concussion, uh, how good is your memory? He, he obviously did what a defense attorney does in these circumstances. But the other thing that happened was on Tuesday at the Selectman's meeting in Bourne, um, a letter was read from Michael Blanton resigning his position at this point. And again, presumably that means he's not going to be running again. And he had the ability to do that uh, within a certain amount of time ahead of the election. So uh, I think his name was still uh, in, in the mix uh, as of Tuesday or Wednesday, but it, it sounds like it's not going to be there anymore. And he's effectively resigned his position immediately. Um, so again, the case will play out he, in his letter of resignation. He basically said, for the betterment of the town with yeah. all these other things going on. And, you know, when somebody's writing from jail, it can be distracting or, or a selectman who's in jail. It can be distracting, obviously. He said the best move for me would be to, to resign this position at this point. 
Um, and the board moves forward with four members. Mm -hmm. um, and there's some reporting that uh, uh, reporter Ethan Genter did in today's paper about the fact that that does raise the potential for a tie vote versus a five-member board where you would have always kind of a three-to-two situation at least. Um, and those tie votes means whatever the, the vote is would fail in those cases. So there could be instances where it does have a direct effect, uh, but they're going to wait for the actual election to take place. Uh, I think they're within a window before an election where they wouldn't hold or be able to hold a, a special election in this case. So, um, And uh, then moving on beyond that to a story that uh, we've, we've covered quite extensively, and, and reporter Christine Lachere has uh, been all over this topic. Um, and certainly it's one that comes up each time there's a storm and uh, the idea of power outages and, and the effects on different infrastructure. Pilgrim Nuclear Power Station, uh, the uh, folks who are active in opposing that uh, uh, facility uh, are always keeping an eye on it and they raised some questions uh, in the face of last week's storm and then uh, this week uh, the plant was shut down and, and what happened here, Marianne? Well, let's see. So Friday storm, which actually was Friday and Saturday, it, uh, in terms of outages, it hit the Cape really hard, the South Coast, and also the South Shore, which includes Plymouth and the towns that are the 10-mile radius around the nuclear power plant. And uh, the power plant operated, I believe, 100% full through that storm, and citizens had raised concerns that after the storm, they would be unable to get out of their houses, basically, in, in case there was an emergency at the plant because there was flooded roads, there were wires down, trees down. So if there had been an emergency, they wouldn't be able to get out of their houses so or evacuate. So they were concerned about that, but uh, for basically an unrelated reason, the plant was shut down this week so that their concerns were eased. I think somewhat. Yeah, and the the plant's owner, Entergy, said that this is a was a leaking valve. It was a a, 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 a heat system that provides hot water that yes. kind of <laughs> heats up the water before it then gets really heated up and is used to to kind of run the turbine with the steam from that. Um, and they needed to get in there and, and figure it out. Um, the federal regulators said, you know, they're monitoring the situation. Um, and they kind of all point out, well, this is, you know, done for safety and we're, we're taking care. But as you said, activists who were uh, against the plant and concerned about their evacuation last week are saying for this particular weather that we're seeing today, uh, which we'll get into in a second, uh, kind of, yay, the plant is closed. We don't have to worry about it. Obviously, there's this whole debate about the plant, which is scheduled to close in 2019, has been among the worst performing uh, plants in the country, nuclear plants in the country. Um, but people look at nuclear power and say it's a clean source of power. It's generally safe. There, there are a uh, few instances overall. Um, activists say that if something goes wrong, it can go really wrong. So uh, still a lot of back and forth and, and people following that. Uh, one of the interesting things when they were talking about the area around the plant in Plymouth, I remember seeing some video of, from Carver, I believe, which is not too far away of trees down in the road. And it was amazing video because you had oh, I saw that. these giant yes. trees down in the road <laughs> yeah. and, and people yeah. were, were, you can't imagine kind of trying to get through that with any sort of vehicle. So it again, raised those concerns for people. How do we get out if something happens? Um, and so that leads us to our big story of the week, um, uh, certainly, which is kind of the aftermath 
of uh, last week's storm and, uh, you know, continued weather this week. And uh, you did a, a lot of reporting on this. I know reporter Doug Frazier did a lot of reporting on this. There were some specific instances. And, and just generally, obviously, last week's storm, there were there were trees toppled on houses. I remember listening to the scanner and the amount of trees coming down at one point Friday. It was just rapid fire. Um, there was flooding in places that we had seen similar type flooding in January. Not quite as bad. And I think that had to do with some of the preparation and some of the other factors within the storm. Right, and there was that amazing picture of the turquoise, little turquoise cottage with seven trees, like yeah. big old pine trees just dropped yeah, and right we were we were was... talking about it last night, whether it was five or seven. I think if it's your house, it doesn't matter. I mean, five, <laughs> seven, whatever. But but yes, that's in that Sandwich, like, which was yeah. one of the more heavily hit areas. Um, <clears throat> and then and then also uh, one of the areas that was hit uh, was Orleans, and and you did some uh, reporting on that uh, as recently as yesterday. So what's right. happening in Orleans? Well, the Orleans selectmen back in I would say 2015, they we're taking a concerned but con somewhat easy approach to what was reported to them from consultants as a serious erosion problem at Nauset Beach. And this is their most important money-making beach on the Atlantic coast, the town of Orleans. <clears throat> but given two storms, the one in January and then Fridays, the the selectmen and town staff all realized that a leisurely, somewhat leisurely approach would not work anymore. They've been working on the idea that about erosion would occur at about 12 feet per year, which already sounds like a lot. But in the since this year, they've had a 60-foot erosion, which has brought really the highest tides all the way back to where the town buildings are at the beach, and it's this. Uh, snack shack that you may have heard about, Liam's at Nauset Beach. There's the town administration. It's like the beach office the, where the lifeguards hang out, restrooms, and there's a historic gazebo or bandstand. So at this point, two of those buildings are really at risk. The gazebo, they're planning to move, try to move back into the parking lot or even uphill to a motel property that the town now owns. And um, an engineer is going to have to evaluate the concession stand to find out uh, how much damage with the basic intention they're planning to demolish the concession stand. And, and again, technically yesterday there was, you know, expected a vote, but again, they need this engineer to, to yeah. kind of come in and look at the structure as part of the contract um, that uh, the concession near the, the person who had the um, concession there uh, John Omen had with the town it sounds like so they have to kind of make sure the building is really now when you look at the photos it's right on the edge um, and it's... although he said it's he's like I it's structurally still pretty sound so in their contract somehow between him and the town there has to be a determination that there's true damage before yeah, and, and that's true because again as on the edge as it is the building unlike some of these other buildings we've seen wasn't like falling over. It right. wasn't cut underneath the building per se. Um, uh, so that's that's an, that'll be interesting to see what the engineer finds and 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 how they deal with it. it. Again, if we get another storm anywhere near some of these storms, it would be hard to believe that 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 would survive in that location. Um, 
but again, they're looking at, at kind of this bigger picture going forward and that retreat uh, uh, aspect. And I think some of the interesting things out of your story today was again, one of the things that they do is they clear sand from the parking lot. And in so doing so, they literally stop the dune from migrating as it naturally would back. Yeah. And it seems like by doing that, the dune, it becomes unstable or is not doing what it would naturally do. Um, but That's, again, naturally, you wouldn't have a big parking lot there, I suppose. <laughs> That's really, well, I've learned that in, in the town of Truro, where they also had a parking lot that was right up against a big dune. And the practice, of course, is to, you know, as spring comes, scrape all the sand away. But that makes, uh, that weakens the dune, which is naturally going to migrate landward. So um, in both Truro and here at Nauset, they've really kind of weakened the dune. And now even this administration beach office building, they're considering um, they're going to need a design for some kind of modular unit. And they're really planning to potentially for a fall town meeting to um, get the money to do that design. Yeah, and obviously all, all the towns on the Cape are dealing with this. I know you did a story about a house in East Ham that was on the edge. We have uh, a number of houses in Sandwich, and all this reporting is at CapeCutTimes.com, that are, one was condemned, others were declared unsafe. That house in East Ham was, I think, declared unsafe. Um, and then others were declared restricted use, which means you can only go into certain parts of the house. You can imagine kind of being in your kitchen, but not being able to go into your living room. Um, so obviously uh, this is reactionary to, to this erosion. Towns are trying to be more proactive, but as you said, in Orleans case, they may have to speed up uh, that proactivity, so to speak. Um, but, but what, go ahead. Well, in particular, the, the concession stand has a lot of uh, historic, I, I guess not technically historic, but in terms of 50 to 70 years of people's memories of being able to order that. It started out as Philbrick's Snack Shack in 1951, and there's a story about Jackie Kennedy coming with her kids uh, to order food, and then later, later in like, then later on, a little bit of ice cream and the Secret Service there at the picnic tables. But uh, then Liam's. At, at Nauset Beach is the name of the current restaurant. It's a walk-up restaurant. It's been there since 1990. So there seemed to be, even when I was at the beach yesterday, which the wind was blowing around and the waves were super scary, there were just, you know, there were at least a dozen people walking around, taking pictures right there next to the snack shacks. So. Reminiscing, again, obviously it goes back mm -hmm. for a lot of families who are coming to the beach. And, and again, there's a lot more on uh, that story and, and our storm coverage, including questions of whether climate change has anything to do with the things that we're seeing in today's paper, uh, a story by Doug Frazier. We have a story by uh, Tanner Stenning about how the Mashpee Wampanoag tribe is handling kind of emergency response to these types of storms. Um, so CapeCutTimes.com for all of that, uh, certainly. Um, looking ahead uh, to the weekend, and we'll do this pretty quickly because we're getting towards the, the end here, but uh, we have had the, the Olympics. We had a local person in the Olympics, um, and now we have the Paralympics, which are starting, I believe, tomorrow. I, I saw something that said today or tomorrow, but it's hard to keep up because these are in you know, Pyeongchang, South Korea. Um, and uh, this uh, local uh, curler, Megan Lino of East Falmouth, uh, had competed in previous Olympics and, uh, and now is headed to these games. We're going to have a story in Sunday's paper by uh, sports reporter Steve Dedarian. 
Um, and we had a story in past years uh, where Steve and, and uh, our other sports reporter, Matt Goisman, had actually gone and tried oh, yeah, curling. It's a funny story. It, it really is. Have you ever tried curling yourself? No. <laughs> I haven't. It looks fascinating. It's one of those yeah. popular sports during the winter. Um, but obviously, everybody will be uh, looking to uh, how Megan Lino does. Again, she competed in Sochi um, and is somebody with a really interesting story. She has uh, spina bifida and uh, is in a wheelchair and is getting out there and, and, and doing this sport, which, again, a lot of people have find fascinating. Uh, I, I don't know. What's your favorite winter sport? I asked this of Madeline last week. Oh, my gosh. Uh, I would say downhill skiing. Okay. Yeah. I was watching Lindsey Vaughn quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's amazing. Again, when you're out on the slopes these days, you're just as likely to see somebody who's uh, got some sort of, you know, uh, uh, disability downhill skiing as you are somebody who's not. I, whenever I go skiing, I'm always amazed uh, at, at people who are able to get out there and, and uh, the support that they have in the Cape Cod Curling Club is where Megan Lino, I think, first got her start. So we'll be looking forward to how she does in the yeah. Paralympics coming up. It goes through March 18th. Um, thank you for joining us here at CCT Live. Um, you can uh, continue to follow us again on all our, our uh, social media and come back uh, next week, uh, Thursday at 9 a.m. Um, and tell your friends, uh, share the link, you know, ask us questions. We'll follow up on any questions uh, once we get done here. Um, and we really appreciate you coming out. This is where news starts on Cape Cod. Uh, until next week, have a good morning and good luck. Thanks.